You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington, DC, and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, there is unfortunately another TikTok trend in the news. To join this trend, you generally have to be a woman. And what you do is you pick up your phone, you put it on video, you point it at a guy in your life, and you ask him, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? (laughs) (laughs) This trend started getting hot because over and over again, when men were answering this question, it was creating shockwaves in the female mind, and (laughs) probably rightly so. The, the trend started when a guy by the name of Gaius Flavius, which I'm guessing that's not his real name, must be inspired by the Roman Empire, said, quote, Ladies, many of you do not realize how often men think about the Roman Empire. Ask your husband, boyfriend, father, brother. You will be surprised by their answer. Now, you think generally the answer would be, would be never, or maybe, maybe at the very most once or twice a year. But the answers over and over again that, that, that men have said are shocking. Some have said two or three times a month. Others say once or twice a week. And still, even some others said two to three, four, two to, two to, three to four times a day. In one TikTok video, a, a boy's sister comes up to him and asks him, hey brother, how often do you, do you think about the empire? And he says, about two or three times a week. And she's just like, there's no way. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no way that that could be true. And so he goes to his computer, and he loads up the game Minecraft. And, and he, he loads up the game, and he shows this intricate uh, building that he built out of these little blocks in this game. It was the Roman Colosseum, <laughs> which, which he said took him weeks and weeks to build. Now, the Roman Empire might not be that interesting to you this morning, but at one time, they were a massive powerhouse in the world. They invented the aqueducts for running water, roads to connect villages and cities and people, medical tools that influence procedures even still today, legal theory that still impacts us today, and who could forget they invented the early form of apartments. They were big but they were also pretty bad. Slavery was rampant in the empire. Poverty rates were sometimes out of control. There were bloody gladiator games, of course. Many of us have seen the movie Gladiator, and bloody circuses. There were constant wars. And some of the emperors were maniacs. Absolutely nuts. Think of Nero. Think of Caligula. More than that, there there was not a lot of if if any, of what we today call religious liberty, what we call religious liberty. The early church found themselves living in the empire, and Rome was, at the time, what we would call pluralistic. Pluralistic. The Romans said, you can worship your God, you can worship Jesus, this town has their God, that town has their God, that's fine, everybody has their own God. Everybody can worship their own God, but you must also worship the emperor. You have to give your allegiance to 
the emperor. You have to say Kaiser Curios, which essentially means Caesar is Lord. They said you can worship your God as long as you also worship Caesar as Lord, Caesar as ultimate. Now, of course, we know this sets up a major conflict. As Christians, we can't do that. We believe Jesus is Lord. He's supreme, not Caesar. He's ultimate, not the emperor, right? The government is not God. A ruler isn't God. Politics isn't God. God is God. He is first. And so, as Christians give their allegiance ultimately to Jesus as Lord, this creates a lot of confusion. Some of the Romans assume Christianity has come to undermine the emperor. And eventually it becomes a major factor. Christians are painted quite unfairly as being radical and dangerous by many back then. Now, why do I mention all of this this morning? Well, because this is the context of our passage this morning. The early church found themselves living in this context. They found themselves living in Nero's Rome, Claudius's Rome, Caliglia's Rome, a Rome that wasn't always friendly to them. And as the lingo goes, perhaps a Rome that was very sus of them as believers. Yet the main idea that we're going to see in this passage, the main idea in this, this passage is that we're going to see very similar trends. That even in, in the confusion, in light of this context, believers were, were, were set on being model citizens to, to honor Rome, to respect Rome, its rulers, its government as much as possible, even though they were citizens of another kingdom, an invisible kingdom, a greater kingdom in, in, in Jesus, they were also citizens of an earthly kingdom. And they were doing their best to live in that kingdom for the common good. Now it's the same thing for us this morning. We live in a society that, as a whole, is doing a lot of good. There's a lot of good about the United States of America. We've invented things. The light bulb, the airplane, the internet, fast food, rap, Walmart. We've invented a lot of things. We are a powerhouse for good in many ways, but we also have injustices all around us. We have our Neros. We have our Caligulas. And we live still today in a very pluralistic society where people say, you can have your religion, you can worship Jesus, but if you won't say that blank is the ultimate Lord, that's going to be a problem. If you won't say that inclusion is Lord, that that's the most important thing, we've got a problem. If you won't say that the majority is Lord, that that's where true power resides, we've got a problem. If you won't say that relativism is Lord, if you won't say that our hearts are Lord, that another person's feelings are Lord, if you won't say the state is Lord, we're in trouble. But as Christians, we say Jesus is Lord. He's supreme. He's ultimate. He's first. He's our foundation. And yet, whatever confusion that might come, this passage reminds us that as believers this morning, we're supposed to be model citizens to honor and to respect our country its government, its rulers, as much as possible. Even though we're citizens of another kingdom, an invisible kingdom, a greater kingdom in Jesus Christ, we're also citizens of this earthly kingdom. And we're supposed to do our best in light of that 
to live in this kingdom for the common good. Now, my main idea is going to kind of flow from that thought. It's going to flow right from the the passage. It's going to be up on the screen, and it's this. Live as model citizens, earthly and heavenly. Live as model citizens, earthly and heavenly. In Christ, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, but we're also citizens on earth. And how we live for both matters. How we live for both matters. My points are simple. They're also going to flow right from the text. They're going to be up on the screen here. Number one, our responsibility to the state. Number two, the state's responsibility. And then number three, of course, resistance, civil disobedience, and dissent about how practically as individual Christians we dissent or we disobey. We won't get into the thorny issues today like the uh, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer's assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler, or the American Revolution in Romans chapter 13, which is a very important text for them. Uh, we'll look at those another time. But we're really going to focus on this point three, when it's good for us as believers to dissent, when it's, when it's important for us to, to disobey. So let's dive in. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, or perhaps uh, you've been in and out, we are in a series in the book of Romans. And Romans is essentially a book all about how the gospel, the central message of the Christian faith, the, the, the central idea of the Bible, how it can transform a life, how it can change a life. The, the gospel essentially is the good news that, that the righteousness of God has come to us in Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of God is something that we all want. It's something that we're all looking for, whether we know it or not. And ultimately, Romans says, the Bible says, we find it in Jesus Christ. Now, the way we get that righteousness, the way we connect to that righteousness, the way we get linked up to that salvation is not by our good works or by being a good person. But we get it the very same way that Jesus accomplished it, through weakness, through holding out our hands and saying, we need you, Lord. We receive your gift. We surrender. We, we receive your grace, the very righteousness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And now when you do that, it transforms your life. It personally revolutionizes your life. It, the Spirit of God comes into your life and changes you and gives you a new name, a new purpose, a new hope. Now that's good news, Romans says, but, but the gospel doesn't stop there. It keeps on transforming you because it gives you a new set of lenses by which you look at the world. A new set of glasses. The gospel is not something we just look at and we worship, but the gospel is also something we look through. It changes the way we look at life. It has major implications on how we do life, on how we view things in life. And so over the last few weeks, as Romans continued, we found ourselves starting to look at these implications. We saw how uh, a few weeks ago the gospel should transform our relationship to the church. And how the gospel then, uh, last week we saw how the gospel transforms our relationships to our friends, to to our enemies. And now today we're going to see how it transforms our relationship with those outside the church. Particularly, as mentioned, the government or the state. This really leads us to our first point Number one, our responsibility to the state. Let me just read the passage in full. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So we're told here, in general, in general, that our relationship to the state, to the to the governing authorities is one of being subject. That means to be in submission to or, or to be in obedience to. In general, the point is, as believers, we should submit. We should put ourselves under the authority of the state, the governing authorities. Now, why is that? Well, the ultimate reason here is not the divine right of kings, but that verse 1, behind authority behind authority, behind the idea of government, and even in some way behind the authorities themselves is the authority of God. Behind authority, behind the idea of government, and even in some way behind the imperfect authorities themselves is the authority of God. And that's not to say that God endorses the character or the policies or the actions of every governing authority, but it is to say that somehow, in God's providence, that somehow, at the very least, he's allowed them to be there. And whether they were elected, whether they were hired, or whether they were appointed, whether they come from a family of rulers, in this reality that we live in, as believers, we're told, in general, to submit and put ourselves under the authority of the governing authorities, whether that's police, whether that's mayors, whether that's courts, whether that's lawmakers, and so on. Now, why is that? Well, because... Because God, even in this messy world, is ultimately in control of it all. Amen. It doesn't matter ultimately who's in office, God will always reign. And if he's in control of that, then it's right to submit to it. It's right, it's right and wise to go under it. In this fallen world with tons and tons of competing interests, God essentially looks out in the world and he realizes there's got to be some order. It won't last long without some order. And so government authority, structure. God's designed it this way. We call this his created order, his blueprint for humanity in general. And in that blueprint, there's referees, there's umpires. And in a providential way, and in a, in a broken world, in a messy world, God works through them to create order, good and bad. And so as Christians, our responsibility in general, according to this text, our responsibility to the state, to the governing authorities, is we submit. We submit because it's right. We submit because it's wise. Who's going to harm you if you're doing good? Verse 4. We submit because it's God's will. So the focus here on our responsibilities to the state, first and foremost, is on being a model citizen. Is on being a good citizen. Not engaging in lawlessness, not trying to usurp the emperor, obeying the laws, paying our taxes, being a model citizen. Even if you think that the governing authorities are degenerates, which many of them are, Nero, most of the time, in general, you can still submit. You can still submit and address any grievances you may have lawfully within the system. 
So that's our responsibility to the state. Now on the flip side of this is the second point, the responsibilities of the state or the responsibilities of governing authorities. Now I see two in particular. All the libertarians in the room can say amen. Uh, maybe not so fast. The first is the, the negative function of the state we see in this passage, and the second is the more positive function of the state. The more negative function of the state, the more positive function of the state. The negative function of the state is to punish wrongdoing. Verse 4, For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrong Doer. Almost all Christians agree, and, and universally uh, everybody almost agrees, whether they're Christian or not, that there can't be order in a society unless the state, unless governing authorities punish wrongdoing. Murder, threat, theft, forms of lying, fraud, and a bunch of other things are almost always seen universally as undermining or hurting a society, hurting people. And so the state's role, a governing authority's role, is to punish the wrongdoing. Now, how do they do it? Well, the word here is the sword. It's used as kind of a catch-all word that a government, a country, has the power to inflict penalties up to possibly even death. They have a, they have a, penal, they have a duty to, to punish evil and to keep the peace. Now, just as a side note, when it comes to the death penalty, I realize there's a lot of issues around that, and I don't think this one verse answers that specific question either way, but that's a topic for another day. So secondly, there's the responsibilities of, of the state listed here. And we see this, the second one, the positive function of the state. The positive function of the state is essentially to promote good. Verse 4 says, For he, the governing authority, that is the state, is God's servant for your good. Literally, the Greek text says here, the state, uh, the governing authorities, is God's servant to you for the good. God's servant to you for the good. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that the state is God's servant for the good? Does that mean good economic conditions? Does that mean good social conditions? What does that mean? And how do they do it? Do they promote good behavior? Do they promote good conditions? Do they promote common decency? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but depending on how you interpret that, it could change the way that you envision the size and the scope of government. But the general idea here is that a good government, good governors, good authorities will promote and help in some way to preserve the common good, a common good environment for people. And this morning, if, whether you're in government, if you're in government, whether you're in politics, I hope in some way, in some fashion, that you set out to see order and godliness in society in a general way. So we see our responsibilities to the state, and we see the state's responsibilities, but now what about all the exceptions? I flew through that because I really want to land and talk more about civil disobedience, dissent, and resistance. What about when the state tells you you must say or you must live Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord? When they say, sure, you can worship Jesus, uh, you can worship whatever God you want, but your foundation your ultimate authority, your ultimate grid by which you live your life, by which you determine what is right, what is wrong, can't be him. It has to be what we say is right or wrong, whatever the ideology of the day might be. What do you do? What do you do? And this, of course, leads us to this third point. Resistance 
civil disobedience, and dissent. As a believer, as important as the government is, and many of you work in government and politics, as important as society is to us, our ultimate authority is not in those things. Our ultimate authority is in the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, the mighty God, the one in whom the government will rest on his shoulders, which means that there is a threshold that we have as believers to submission, to our submission to the government and our submission to governing authorities. There is a line that can be crossed. Now, what is that line? What is that line? That line is crossed essentially when the government or governing authorities command us to do something that God has forbidden or denies us to do something that God has commanded. Let me just say that again. The line is crossed when the government or governing authorities command us to do something that God has forbidden or denies us to do something that God has commanded. And of course, in those cases, we dissent. We dissent on the specific command or law and with respect, accept the consequences. That doesn't mean we reject the authority and, and, and the role of government altogether. Even if we think it's foolish as a whole, even if we think that it supports a lot of ideas or a lot of policies that we think are disobedient to God, all it means is that we dissent on the specific command or law with respect and accept the consequences. Think of Peter and John in the book of Acts. When the government tells them, stop preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, and they say, we must obey God rather than man. This is Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're living in Babylon. They're participating in civic life there. It's not the best government. It's not the best state in the world. It's mixed. They're submitting. But then there comes a point where they're commanded to do what the Lord forbids, to worship an idol. And they're denied to do something that God commands, to pray to him. And of course, the result is they dissent. They disobey. With an attitude of fearless respect, they accept the consequences and they dissent. This is Israel when they were in slavery to Egypt. And the Hebrew midwives reject Pharaoh's orders to kill the infant boys. It's a command against something that God forbids. And they dissent. This is the German church. Many, many parts of the German church during Nazi Germany who submitted in general but worked hard behind the scenes as they were being denied to do something God has commanded, love their neighbor. And of course, this is in large parts the Chinese church today who submit in general but work hard behind the scenes to do something they're denied to do that God commands, to meet and to worship. The government is not God. The majority is not God. Ideology is not God. God is God. And to know him this morning means that there will likely be times when it will be your duty to dissent, where it will be part of being a disciple of Christ for you to work behind the scenes in small ways and big ways in order to do the things God has commanded or to do the things, to not do the things that God has forbidden. If those situations happen, and God forbid they won't, that doesn't mean we, re we reject the authority and the role of the state as a whole. Even if we think the government is foolish, 
or supports a lot of ideas and policies that are disobedient to God. All it means is that we dissent on that specific command or law with respect and accept the consequences. Why? Why do we do that? Well, it's because we have a higher authority. Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's ultimate. Our foundation is in him. And ultimately, he determines what is right and what is wrong. Not our hearts, not the state, not somebody else's heart, but the very heart of God, the good shepherd, our king of kings. Amen. Now, as we close this, this brief message, amen, this morning, a couple thoughts. A couple thoughts. I sped through this as quick as I could for the sake of time. Some of you might be asking, why the heck did you just preach a message on this text during our Church in the City Capital campaign? campaign day. Why not just switch out the text? Well, the simple answer is we've been going through Romans, and this is where we currently are in the book. Last week we did 12, we did 13, next week we'll do, we'll do, we'll do 14, and so on and so on. But I also felt a peace this week, a lot of times, to not just pick a random text and try to tie it to, to the campaign theme today. And I think I know why. God is providential. I think he did it for us. Every week I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I think he wanted us to hear. And here's the point. So many of us are in government. So many of us will likely run for office. The statistics are pretty high that in a room like this in Washington, D.C., some of you will likely be in office. Some of you will likely be in government. And I want to say that's amazing this morning. We need you to do that. Uh, we need you to govern justly, to rule justly. We all see from this passage to be in government, to be in any, any governmental authority role is important. And it would be great if under your leadership, whatever sphere of leadership that you may have, whether it's government or politics, that, that Christians, that people of faith, don't have to invoke religious freedom clauses in order to, to, to live. Uh, that it would be a much better world in that way. But this passage also reminds us of the importance of the church. It's the church, not the government, who holds the gospel. It's the church, not the State Department, who is the embassy of the true kingdom of God. It's the church, not the Roman Empire, or the United States, that will stand forever. The church is the only true city on a hill, the only true light of the world, because the gospel transforms lives, Amen. because Jesus Christ is real and makes everything new because he's Lord. And churches like this one that preach the gospel should continue. Churches like this one should go on and on and on if it's God's will, by the grace of God, one day we'll have a permanent home here in Washington. We'll be able to hold out this gospel of truth to others, to call people to not only being a good citizen and modeling the grace of God, but living for the glory of God. Pray for this effort, pray for this church, support the work of the gospel. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.